everyone. Hello. Good day to everyone. Marahaven, Marahaven Bikis, Marahaven Bika. Today we have one of those taboo subjects, I shall say. No, not necessarily taboo, just a subject that most folks don't want to discuss on a regular basis. Some folks don't want to have that impermanence, you know, they don't want to see that goodness in reality and know that there is a reality that we all were born into this world we were born into this world and we shall die from this world we are embodied in a shell and our shell is temporarily given to us and deciding on what we do with our shell shall determine i can imagine only imagine who am i to say and that's a fact but i can only imagine that something else better shall be in the next world or the other world or after your soul has been released or once our shells are no longer of use we were born into the world as beautiful people and complete so I think that there shall be something else as a light at the end of that beautiful long tunnel so let's see what we're gonna do while we're in that tunnel to make our experience on the other ride be a wonderful experience and not something that we are afraid of. I shall start off by saying, if we're willing to give up hope that insecurity and pain can be exterminated, then we can have the courage to relax with the groundlessness of our situation. This is the first step on the path. Again, Ms. Pima Chodron, the renowned and great author of Miss Pima Chodron from the Shambhala classics when things fall apart hard advice for difficult times I am just her narrator um, but um, she's one of the many authors that I read um, and that has helped me also to awaken so here we go relax grab your tea Grab your late night tea, whatever it shall be, and relax wherever you shall be driving. Relax your mind. Don't relax your eyes, <laughs> but relax your mind. Um, and, you know, you're just sitting around and you're just hanging out, you know, ease your mind and try to get a quiet space so you can focus on these words that I believe, in my personal opinion, can be very powerful and useful and words of wisdom to all that listen, no matter what race or nationality, etc., that you are. Turning your mind toward the Dharma does not bring security or confirmation. Turning your mind toward the Dharma does not bring security or confirmation. Turning your mind toward the Dharma does not bring any ground to stand on. In fact, when your mind turns toward the Dharma, you fearlessly acknowledge impermanence and change and begin to get back the knack of hopelessness. In Tibetan, there is an interesting word called ye teng che. The ye part means totally, completely, and the rest of it means exhausted. Altogether, ye teng che means totally tired out. We might say, quote unquote, totally fed up. It describes an experience of complete hopelessness, of completely giving up hope. This is an important point. 
This is the beginning of the beginning without giving up hope that there's somewhere better to be, that there's somewhere or someone better to be. We will never relax with where we are or who we are. We could say that the world mind, that the word mindfulness is pointing to being one of one with our experience, not disassociating, being right there when our hand touches the doorknob or the telephone rings or feelings of all kinds arise. The word mindfulness describes being right where we are. Yi Teng Chang, however, is not so easily digested. It expresses the renunciation that's essential for the spiritual path. To think that we can finally get it all together, unrealistic, to seek for some lasting security is futile. To undo our very ancient and very stuck habitual patterns of mind requires that we begin to turn around some of our most basic assumptions. Believing in solid, separate self, continuing to seek pleasure and to avoid pain, thinking that someone quote unquote out there is to blame for your pain, one has to get totally fed up with these ways of thinking. One has to give up hope that this way of thinking will bring us satisfaction. Suffering begins to dissolve when we can question the belief or the hope that there's anywhere to hide. Hopelessness means that we no longer have the spirit for holding up our trip together. We may still want to hold our trip together. We long to have some reliable, comfort, comfortable ground under our feet, but we've tried a thousand ways to hide and a thousand ways to tie up all the loose ends and the ground just keeps moving under us. So try to get lasting security teaches us a lot because if we never try to do it, we never notice that it can't be done. Turning our minds toward the Dharma speeds up the process of discovery. At every turn, we realize once again that it is completely hopeless. We can't get any ground under our feet. The difference between theism and non-theism is not whether one does or does not believe in God. It is an issue that applies to everyone, including both Buddhist and non-Buddhist. Theism is a deep-seated conviction that there's some hand to hold. If we just do the right thing, someone will appreciate us and take care of us. It means thinking there's always going to be a babysitter available when we need one. We all are inclined to abdicate our responsibilities and delegate our authority to someone outside ourselves. Non-theism is relaxing with ambiguity and uncertainty of the present moment without reaching for anything to protect ourselves. We sometimes think that Dharma is something outside of ourselves, something to believe in, something to measure up to. However, Dharma isn't a belief. It isn't a dogma. It is a total appreciation of impermanence and change. The teachings disintegrate when we try to grasp them. We have to experience them without hope. Many brave and compassionate people have experienced them and thought them. The message is fearless. Dharma was never meant to be a belief that we blindly follow. Dharma gives us nothing to hold on to at all. 
non-theseism is finally realizing that there's no babysitter that you can count on. You just get a good one and then he or she is gone. Non-theseism is realizing that it is not just babysitters that come and go. The whole of life is like that. This is the truth and the truth is inconvenient, folks. The truth is inconvenient. The truth is never going to be convenient, folks. Of course not. The truth hurts. The truth always hurts. Remember that. The whole of life is like that. This is the truth and the truth is inconvenient. For those who want something to hold on to, life is even more inconvenient. From this point of view, theseism is an addiction. We are all addicted to hope. Hope that the doubt and mystery will go away. This addiction has a painful effect on society. A society based on lots of people addicted to getting ground under their feet and it's not a very compassionate place. The first noble truth of the Buddha is that when we feel suffering, it doesn't mean that something is wrong. What a relief. Finally, somebody told the truth. Suffering is a part of life. And we don't have to feel it's happening because we personally made the wrong move. In reality, however, when we feel suffering, we think that something is wrong. As long as we're addicted to hope, we feel that we can tone our experience down or living it up or change it somehow. And we continue to suffer a lot. The word in Tibetan for hope is rua. The word for fear is dakpa. More commonly, the word we dock is used when combines the two. Hope and fear is a feeling with two sides. As long as there's one, there's always the other. This redock is the root of our pain. And in the world of hope and fear, we always have to change the channel, change the temperature, change the music, because something is getting uneasy, something is getting restless, something is beginning to hurt, and we keep looking for alternatives. In a non-theseistic state of mind, abandoning hope is an affirmation, the beginning of the beginning. You can even put quote-unquote abandoned hope on your refrigerator door instead of a more conventional aspirations like quote-unquote every day and every way I'm getting better and better. Hope and fear come from feeling that we lack something. They come from a sense of poverty. We can't simply relax with ourselves. We hold on to hope. And hope robs us of the present moment. We feel that someone else knows what's going on, but that's there's something missing in us. But that there's something missing in us, and therefore something is lacking in our world. Rather than letting our negativity get the better of us, we could acknowledge that right now we feel like a piece of shit and not be squeamish about taking a good look. That's the compassionate thing to do. That's the brave thing to do. We could smell that piece of shit. We could feel it. What is it? The texture, the color, the shape? We can explore the nature of that piece of shit. We can know the nature of dislike, shame, and embarrassment and not believe that there's something wrong with that. We can drop the fundamental hope that there is better quote-unquote me who one day will emerge. We can just jump over ourselves as we were not there. It's better to take a straight look at all of our hopes and fears than some kind of confidence in our basic sanity arises. 
This is where renunciation enters the picture. Renunciation of hope that our experience could be different. Renunciation of hope that we could be better. The Buddhist monastic rules that the advice renouncing liqueur, renouncing sex, and so on are not pointing out that those things are inherently bad or immoral, but that we use them as babysitters. We use them as a way to escape. We use them as a way to try to get comfort and distract ourselves. The real thing that we renounce is the tenacious hope that we could save from being who we are. Renunciation is a teaching to inspire us to investigate what's happening every time we grab something because we can't stand to face what's coming. Once, I was sitting next to a man on an airplane who kept interrupting our conversation to take various pills. I asked him, quote unquote, what is that you're, talk- you're taking? He answered that they were tranquilizers or tranquilizers. I said, oh, are you nervous? And he said, no, not now, but I think when I get home, I'm going to be. You can laugh at this story because... What happens with you when you begin to feel uneasy, unsettled, and queasy? Notice the panic. Notice when you instantly grab for something. That grabbing is based on hope. Not grabbing is called hopelessness. If hope and fear are two sides of one coin, so are hopelessness and confidence. If we're willing to give up hope, that insecurity and pain could be exterminated then we have to have courage to relax with the groundlessness of our situation. This is the first step on the path. If there's no interest in stepping beyond hope and fear, then there's no meaning in taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Taking refugees in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha is about giving up hope and getting ground under our feet. We are ready to take refuge when this style of teaching, whether we feel completely up to it or not, is like hearing something hauntingly familiar, like the experience of a child meeting its mother after a long separation. Hopelessness is the basic ground. Otherwise, we're going to make the journey with the hope of getting security. If we make the journey to get security, we're completely missing the point. We can do our meditation practice with the hope of getting security. We can study the teachings with the hope of getting security. We can follow all the guidelines and instructions with the hope of getting security, but it'll only lead to the disappointment and pain. We can save ourselves a lot of time by taking this message very seriously right now. Begin the journey without hope of getting ground under your feet. Begin with hopelessness, folks. All anxiety, all dissatisfaction, all the reasons for hoping that our experience could be different are rooted in our fear of death. Fear of death is always in the background. As the Zen master Shunryu Suzuki Rashi said, life is like getting into a boat that's just about to sail out to sea and sink. But it's very hard, no matter how much we hear about it, to believe in our own death. Many spiritual practices try to encourage us to take our own death seriously, but it's amazing how difficult it is to allow it to hit home. The one thing in life that we can really count on is incredibly remote for all of us. 
We don't go so far as to say, no way, I'm not going to die because of course we know that we are. But it definitely will be later. That's the biggest hope. Trungpa Rapanchi once gave a public lecture titled Death in Everyday Life. We are raised in a culture that fears death and hides from it. Nevertheless, we experience all of it all the time. We experience it in the form of disappointment, in the form in the form of things not working out. We experience it in the form of things always being in process of change. When the day ends, when the when the second day ends, when we breathe out, that's death in everyday life. Death in everyday life could also be defined as experiencing all the things that we don't want. Our marriage isn't working. Our job isn't coming together. Having a relationship with death in everyday life means that we begin to be able to wait, to relax with insecurity, with panic with embarrassment, with things not working out. As the years go on, we don't call the babysitter quite so fast. Death and hopelessness provide proper motivation, proper motivation for living an insightful, compassionate life. But most of the time, warding off death is our biggest motivation. We habitually ward off any sense of problem. We're always trying to deny that it's a natural occurrence that things change, that the sand is slipping through our fingers, time is passing. It's as natural as the seasons changing and day turning into night. But getting old, getting sick, losing what we love, we don't see those events as natural occurrences. We want to ward off that sense of death no matter what. When we have reminders of death, we panic. It isn't just that we cut our finger, Blood begins to flow and we put out on a band-aid. We add something extra, our style. Some of us just sit there stoically and bleed all over our clothes. Some of us get hysterical. We don't just get a band-aid, we call the ambulance, we go to the hospital. Some of us put on designer band-aids, but whatever our style is, it's not simple. It's not bare bones. Can't we return to the bare bones? Can we? Can we just come back? That's the beginning of the beginning. Bare bones, good old self. Bare bones, good old bloody finger. Come back to square one, just the minimum bare bones. Relaxing with the present moment, relaxing with hopelessness, relaxing with death, not resisting the fact that things end that things pass, that things have no lasting substance, that everything is changing all the time. That is the basic message, folks. When we talk about hopelessness and death, we're talking about facing the facts, no escapism. We may still have addictions to all kinds, but we cease to believe in them as a getaway to happiness. So many times we indulge the short-term pleasure of addiction. We've done it so many times that we know that grasping at this hope is a source of misery that makes a short-term pleasure a long-term hell. Giving up hope is an encouragement to stick with yourself, to make friends with yourself, not to run away from yourself, to return to the bare bones, no matter what's going on. Fear of death is in the background of the whole thing. It's why we feel restless, why we panic, why there's anxiety, But if we totally experience hopelessness, 
giving up all hope of alternatives to the present moment, we can have a joyful relationship with our lives, an honest, direct relationship, one that no longer ignores the reality of impotence and death. Yo, did you hear that? Can I get an amen? Can I get a hallelujah? Can I get a like, I feel you? Yes. This is the knowledge that you need to feed yourself. This is the knowledge you need to know. You're scrolling through Facebook and you took the time to click on my video. You're scrolling through whatever you take the time to click on my video because you you seek wisdom. You're hungry. You're hungry for wisdom. You're tired of seeing the BS online. You're tired of seeing the drama, the chaos. You're tuned in. You're tuned in. You're awake like me. You're tuned in. You're awakening. You're tuning in. I'm telling you. And this is the path that'll take you real smooth. I'm telling you. Just just right along. And little by little, you'll change habits of your own without even realizing it. Just because the words that you receive for that day as of right now, or if you listen to my previous podcast, you're going along. You're doing it, man. And if nobody's telling you you're doing it, I'm telling you you're doing it. Because it's a big step when you just take the time. You take 20 minutes of your time, your precious time that you could be doing anything else. And you take the time to listen to me. That's cool. That's all good. Because I'm nobody. We know who's the strong man above. I'm nobody. I'm just a little ant here in this universe. But one ant can pull in 10 ants. And 10 ants can pull in 20 ants. And 20 ants we can pull in like a billion ants. So it's all good. Let's let us let us grow a compassion cult. How about that? I'm gonna call start calling it compassion cult. <laughs> let's make a compassion cult. Compassion amongst ourselves, self-love amongst ourselves, self-interest, self-dating. Make yourself feel like you're all that in a bag of chips, you know? Just that. That's what it is, the compassion cult. The compassion gang, the compassion cult, that's what it is. So, I'm glad you all tuned in today to listen to my quicky, wacky voice. And I hope you guys have a wonderful day. And may peace be with all of you. And Ashalamu alaikum.